Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Generic Podcast. On today's show, our guest is S.C. Fisher. Uh, you may know her from the Base Fear series. She has a whole bunch of other books out, uh, and you should go ahead and check out all of them. And then uh, come back and listen to this episode or listen to this episode and then come go read some of the books or however you want to do it. <laughs> but how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, good. You know, it's been raining for the past like four days, which is kind of strange for Texas, I guess. But maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the weather changes every single every single year. It's, it becomes a little bit more erratic. I feel. So. It's not so strange for Britain. So. Does <laughs> <laughs> it rain? It rains a lot there. Or? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just like before we get into everything, could you tell us like a, just like a little bit about like who you are and like how you got into writing and working in the the genres? Yeah, of course. Um, so my real name is Samantha. Um, I chose to use S.C. Fisher as my pen name because I wanted to go into the horror genre. And a few people advise that a lot of readers tend to prefer male horror authors. I can't say whether that's true or not, but just erring on the side of caution, I thought, well, if I just use my initials, no one will know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it might not be true, but <laughs> who knows? Um, so I live in Britain, obviously, I'm British, and I've been writing since I was a child, but things have only really been serious for, I'd say, the last three years. So I'm still quite new as an author starting out in this journey, but I'm having a lot of fun. How did you get into to, to writing? I mean, I know you said that you've only been doing this for three years but you've been it's you've been pretty busy then if you've been getting all this stuff out i have um as i say when i was a child i loved to read to write stories i grew up as a 90s kid so we didn't quite have all the uh, technology to distract us then we had some but not a lot and so reading and writing stories was it was like playing for me i, I used to love it and that very much continued into my teenage years. Kind of took a back seat um, when I had my kids, but then as they've now gotten older, it's just given me a lot more time. Now they want to go off and do their own thing. I have so much more time available to me now to be able to focus on this other passion of mine. How do you approach the writing? Because So at least in like the base fear novels, it, I would assume, right, that you were either, were you in the Air Force or did you grow up with somebody that was in the Air Force or like where did, where's the inspiration my, coming from these? Um, my husband's actually in the Air Force. So oh. we're a military family. Um, my husband and I married when we were 20. So we've been at this for about 17 years now. Mm-hmm. So we're quite experienced with the military lifestyle. And you meet a lot of interesting people. You go to a lot of interesting places. And every base has its own history. Um, Obviously, a lot of bases saw action in World War II. 
and that tends to create various ghost stories. Hmm. What's uh? What are what are some of the ones that kind of have really drawn you to to writing? I mean, obviously, with the with the base sphere series, you talk some about that, especially at the end of the fourth one, and you have like the the extra kind of like background there. Uh, but are there any other ones that like you initially heard of where it was just like, oh, okay, like this is kind of the genre that I want to write in? I always knew that I would like to write in the horror genre. Um, I've always been a huge fan of horror films, TV series. I was that kid that was obsessed with Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and all those fantastic retro ghost shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I knew from a very early age that if I was going to do this, I wanted, I wanted it to be within horror, but with the um, with the base fear series, that was sort of accidental. I had an idea one day, uh, just before the pandemic, I think it was, to write a book about a haunted married quarter. And I decided, well, the perfect setting would be the place that, that we are now, which is Royal Air Force Valley in North Wales. Write what you know. <laughs> Obviously, I had first-hand experience to be able to describe the area, the scenery, and all of that kind of thing that helps to really put the reader inside the story. And I then signed with a publisher called Raventail, um, who were a fairly new horror imprint at the time. And they asked me if it would be possible for this first book that I had written to become a series. And I thought about it, and I remembered a lot of the the ghost stories that I'd heard from our time traveling around with the Air Force. And I thought, well, actually, yes, there's, there's a lot of scope here to explore all these different local myths and legends, which may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. um, but I just decided to play with that and have fun. And the books are very much a mixture of stories that people claim are true with my own little spin on them <laughs> well ho hopefully at least those the 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 uh base fear ones that i did read those ones aren't aren't true because <laughs> that's that's pretty free well, <laughs> i think you read um books three and four so yeah. mum's woods and mum's witch and the basis of those stories, um, that's Milden Hall is actually a United States Air Force base oh. that is in Britain. Um, and we did, my husband and I did go down there to to have a little look and to, to see what the area was like. And that whole area is, is steeped in witchcraft. Mm -hmm. It was one of the main areas that Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General, operated within. And it's estimated that around 300 people were, were tried and put to death by him and his posse. <laughs> um, and so the, the actual basis of those books um, is sort of true. There is a claim that there was a young girl who was dragged into the woods by an angry mob and staked to the ground by the branches of a yew tree and left to die. And according to various serving persons past and present, there are 
fully grown burly men who won't go into those woods because they're absolutely convinced that the spirit of this young woman haunts the woods and she's angry. Mm-hmm. Are there like a lot of are there a lot of like missing persons reports or anything that they can't explain or is it just kind of like one of those nobody really wants to find out kind of things? <laughs> I think it's more that nobody really wants to find out. <laughs> I very much took creative liberties <laughs> with the uh, the missing persons um, and and other details in the book. I won't say too much in case anybody's intrigued and wants to check it out for themselves. Um, but I, I try and make the root of each book something that if you um, you pick it enough, you'll find shreds of truth. Yeah. So, so with the with the way that you write, and this is something that I find that is pretty interesting because it's different across the board. Um, but for you, like, what is your approach for writing? Because you because you had mentioned that originally it was just the one book, um, and mm. it's turned to the series by request. Um, so, do you, or do you plan? what you're going to write or are you more kind of like a pantser because it, it seems like you, you at least have to do i'm not quite sure like how much research you have to do but it seems like you put in a fairly decent amount of, of research into the the different like local myths and legends the first two books didn't require anywhere near as much research mm-hmm. um books three and four there was quite a bit that did go into that um as i say visiting the area going to Moises Hall where they have their witchcraft section um, and you can actually see the bodies of mummified cats that they have pulled out of the walls of old houses. So there's there was quite a bit that went into that. Um, it was very enjoyable. <laughs> it doesn't sound it, but if you're interested in that kind of thing, it was very educational mm-hmm. and, and I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, Books five and six, which I'm writing at the moment, they're requiring quite a bit of research. They're they're set in Germany, and we've never had a posting in Germany, so I've had to track down some people who have, ask a few questions, um, but I don't like to not have a plan. Yeah, uh, I'm one of these people who knows what their characters look like. They know their likes and dislikes, even if they're not going to feature in in the plot of the book. I still like to know it so I can build a more believable person. Somebody that you can say, well, okay, in this situation, they would react in this way, or they wouldn't say that, they wouldn't do this. I think it's, um, for me anyway, it's a good way to make your characters and your storyline more realistic. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I guess like one of the things that is pretty interesting about people that are more in tune with the characters that they're writing is I feel like there's there's at least two camps. And I'm, I'm curious as to which one you are here, because I know that sometimes people get so wrapped up in their characters that sometimes they they it's like they have the plot. And then the character is doing one thing and then you sit down and then it's like they've done something completely different because it's, because it's like you realize, oh, it's like, no, they didn't want to do that. They wanted, they wanted to go here and do something else. Do you find that sometimes you kind of, the, the characters as you're writing just kind of go off the rails and do their own thing? 
as you're writing or is it kind of like you've already planned it enough so it's like the characters are acting in the way that they should and the way that you know you want them to act but like you also have that line where it's like you're not deviating from it at all I think I tend to have um, very well-behaved, obedient characters. <laughs> so if they if they divert at all, it's it's quite marginal. Um, I will plan my scene, and even down to conversations. If I have two characters conversing, I will know which information I need them to convey. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, something else might creep in there, a couple of lines, and I might think, oh, that works. I'll leave that. But generally speaking, they tend to do what I tell them. I am I am their god, so <laughs> I play a lot of Sims, so I'm I'm used to making people do what I want. Oh, yeah, so. that's, I was I I had played The Sims um, quite a while ago, and uh, I remember wishing that they had like some kind of like horror edition. <laughs> <laughs> They, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if that would do for really well at all. I think, I mean, I think I would, um, but I, I don't think they would ever come out with something like that. But that'd, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> have like some they have werewolves and they have vampires now, but it, oh, it tends okay. to be quite tame, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, with, so with the different characters and everything, like, are when you're doing your your character creations and, and you're coming up with how they're going to interact and what kind of mannerisms they have and everything is that purely imagination or are you like facing it off with people that you've known or is it like certain characteristics that you find work really well in other like films or literature that you read and then you're just kind of like molding them into something that is more um, adaptable and, and workable for your kind of stories? or I don't tend to base characters off people I know. I think that can be a very dangerous path to walk <laughs> if somebody recognises themselves within something you've written. So if anybody's ever reading my books, my stories, and they think, I don't think this is me, it's not you. If I know you, it's not you, I promise. Um, sometimes... I think you gain a sense of who your character is from your plot, from the decisions that you need them to make in order for your plot to move forward. You will sometimes learn things about your characters. Mm -hmm. um, we've all watched horror films and thought, well, that's a really stupid decision. Why have you gone to investigate the noise? Um, if your character is a smart, intelligent, logical thinker, you don't want them to investigate the noise, really. Right. And if they do have to investigate the noise, there has to be some sort of extenuating circumstances there, some reason that you give to the readers as to why they would do this thing that ordinarily they wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's especially like when you're sitting down and watching films and <laughs> I think, uh, oh man, I can't remember what movie it was. It's like they they went to they went to a house as in like an Airbnb, but there was like some woman that like lives in the basement, and there's like some like trap door or something. It was a pretty, it was a fairly new film. Like I, the name is escaping me. I don't know, but it comes to this point where it's like so they go down into the cellar, and like there's this weird sketchy room, 
and you can tell that somebody has been staying there. But then there's like a door at the end of the the hall (laughs) and they open that up. And then there's just like this long staircase leading into the darkness. And I remember sitting in the theater watching it and everyone was like, don't go down there. (laughs) Just don't go down there. It's like, of course, you know, they're going to go down there. And I was just like, why? Of course I'll go down. (laughs) I think that's why, um, if you've ever seen The Cabin in the Woods um, by a certain certain director that I'm not sure if we're allowed to mention anymore, um, it's it's quite a clever film because they, they play very much on that idea of there is the one sensible character who knows, well, hang on, we're in a horror situation here. We, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't split up. We need to stick together. And then, of course, that all falls, without ruining the film, that all <laughs> falls apart um, for, for interesting reasons. But we all like to think we'd be that sensible person within a horror film. I'm not sure how many of us would be, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think there's a, I think that's one of like, kind of like the interesting dynamics of horror that I, I feel like a lot of people don't catch on to is, is kind of like the, the, the different um, personality dynamics, because it's like in a lot of horror, it's like, especially in films, it's like you're watching them make these decisions versus like, I feel like when you're reading, you're almost there as like another kind of like unsaid character, you know? And like you're you're experiencing it a little bit differently than if you're watching it. And I mean, still, like the characters are going to do the same thing, but it's like I feel like it's a little bit more like, are they actually going to? Because it's like and it's just like you don't want to you don't want to flip through the pages and be like, why? Oh, dang it! Like they did do it, <laughs> you know? Like um, I, I feel they can uh, yeah. get away with slightly more in films and on TV because it's all so quick. It, it's playing out in front of us in real time whereas with a book you can read a little bit you can put it down go away come back read a little bit more and that very much gives your your audience time to think about the decisions that your characters are making so for me I think it's quite important to justify those decisions that they make because there is the potential there for your reader to go away and turn those decisions over in their mind and think, well, actually, that's not logical, that's not believable, mm. and I don't think I'll continue reading anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's kind of like a hard hard thing to balance, right? Because it's like, I, I've read several books before, and I'm, I'm sure you've had this happen too, where a character makes a decision that doesn't seem to make sense, or really agitates a lot of people when they read it. And then they're just like, oh, I'm not going to read it. Like this, this book sucks or this movie sucks or something like that. And then it's like a couple weeks later, they're like, okay, yeah. Like (laughs) there's some good, some good character building. Like I probably would have done the same thing or like I can, you know, they can at least relate. And one of the, one of the things that I really like in the, the, the books that I read is the way that the characters interact with each other and how they have some of those kinds of interactions where it's just kind of like it's like nobody nobody else sees this <laughs> like do, do you guys not <laughs> going on like no one's gonna do anything um and i feel like a lot of times um 
even in real life, there's there's a lot of situations where, you know, things like that happen and people are just like oblivious <laughs> to it. Yes. You know. Well, sometimes it's the fact that people don't, they genuinely don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so we have this very human tendency to try to ignore things and then hope that they go away by ignoring them. And of course, they don't. It only ever makes things worse. I can imagine that would be very much ramped up in a horror situation. It, it's that, that cliched idea of the couple who move into the haunted house and then things start happening and then they think, well, I'm sure we're just imagining it. And of course they're not. <laughs> but as humans, we we often like to try to bury things and pretend that they're not happening around us. Yeah. Yeah, as long, as long as we don't see it or read it, it's not actually happening. It's just... Yes. You just hear about it and you're like, okay. <laughs> so what... what um, I guess this is more of like a two-pronged question. So I think the... the maybe it might be the easier uh, one of the two is what do you feel like about horror... Um, draws so many people to the genre or specific subgenres, and then um, kind of like what draws you to horror specifically in the types that you read and, and write versus all the different other kind of subgenres that there are. Oh, that is a tricky question. I think for most people, it's the fact that horror is the ultimate escapism. Horror and fantasy are very much genres where you are completely removed from the real world and from real world problems. And everything, it it can't really remind you of your own life, your own demons, the things that you're facing too much because we have monsters running around and unicorns jumping over rainbows and and all that kind of amazing stuff. It is the ultimate escapism. And for me personally, um, strangely enough for a horror author, I'm someone who very much fears death and this idea that one day we just cease to be. It's like turning off a light and that everything that we are, everything that we think and love and enjoy will just no longer be. With horror, with that possibility of, of ghosts and poltergeists and all that other <laughs> all the other things, you have that little glimmer of hope that we go on in some way. So it's almost soothing. Not many people find the idea of a monster under the bed soothing, but <laughs> I think it, it depends which angle you come at it from. But for me, it it's that hope that we're not just one day done yeah yeah i mean i I think that's kind of a a pretty common fear for a lot of people and again i think that's one of those things how you would mention you know sometimes people just like to not think about certain things and i think that um you know eventually everybody's got to think about like oh yeah like you know i'm gonna pass away at some point (laughs) you know like Mm. And then it's just like, well, well, what happens after that? Or, or you know, like, how, you know, how how does the rest of the world go about things? But it's like we know, you know, it's like the rest of the world is just business as usual. Not but it's about it. Yeah, <laughs> they're just not thinking about it. You know, 
Um, we are the only species, really, that is aware of its own mortality. Yeah. And that brings a lot of complex thoughts and feelings along with it. I think that horror is one of those things where uh, there are a lot of different types of, not I, I don't want to say personalities, but a lot of different outcomes that people have either experienced or, or ponder and um, kind of just like helps people work through those kinds of things. That I don't, I don't know if it's more of like a, it, it becomes more acceptable to people or if it's more easily digestible or what. But I think one of the, the, the nice things about it is that it, um, at least once you get into all the different kinds of genres that there are, it shows that it's not just all blood and guts, which I feel like a lot of non-horror readers um, or viewers, that's kind of how they, they look at everything. They're like, it's all just mindless slashers and everybody's getting their feet <laughs> out and, and it's, it's, it's just horrible. You know? <laughs> it's just like, no, it's just, you know, it could be people working through things or um, kind of like exploring their fears and, and conquering them or anything. So. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a pretty diverse and uh, interesting way to, to kind of explore humanity and life and death, yeah. So, I think uh, people definitely can have misconceptions about the horror genre, that we're all slightly unhinged and <laughs> that, um, as you say, that we're just fans of buckets of blood. But personally, I enjoy quiet horror the type of thing that makes you think and it will sneak up on you and instead of immediately telling your reader what's hiding in the dark I prefer to make them use their own imagination because sometimes that can be more powerful than anything that I could write on the page is just making them wonder well what is in the dark yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I think when I was watching Alfred Hitchcock when I was younger, and that was one of the things that I noticed where um, not so much in some of the more, um, I, I don't want to say relevant, but more um, well-known films, uh, but in some of his, his lesser known films, a lot of the times the things that were happening were done through like shadow play or they were alluded to but like you didn't actually really see anything until like things at the end started ramping up and then it's just oh oh <laughs> you know and everything starts getting tied together but i think yeah like there there is definitely when quiet horror is done right i feel and what you're saying is 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 a very paramount thing where your mind can kind of just go on its own and be like, okay, this is this is probably what it looks like, or this is what's going on, or something. So it's like, even though there's a solid like beginning and end, you can still have your mind be like, I guess it just kind of depends on the reader, you know, like how how uncomfortable they want to make themselves. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are some fantastic modern examples of what I would call the quiet horror, the building that anticipation until, as you say, you're then finally hit with a glimpse of whatever it is that's been stalking these characters. Um, I think The Haunting of Hill House by Mike Flanagan, they were very good at that, the way they hid ghosts within the scenes. And it's not until you rewatch a third or fourth time that you actually start to see these ghosts that they inserted um, mm. hiding in corners 
um, The Mist with Stephen King. Um, there was a recent adaptation of that. I think it had a lot of The Walking Dead cast in it, actually. And one of the most frightening things about that was we didn't really know what was in The Mist. Yeah. Your characters can't see. They can't look at whatever it is that wants to cause them harm. And so we as the audience just just have to wait. Quiet horror, is that a genre that you started with or that like kind of lured you into horror or was was that something that came later and you were just trying to like, you know, I, I feel like everybody kind of jumps into to the genres and kind of has to like fish for, you know, like what kind of uh, subgenres hit them the best. Um, and then other times people just kind of are gravitated towards certain kind of things and, and um, are more interested in certain genres. Is that something that you've experienced as, as far as um, going from like a, a reader to an author um, or? Quiet Horror is probably one of my favorites. Um, it's not the only horror genre that I appreciate. I do like horror comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I think when that's done right, that can be absolutely brilliant. Um, things like Shaun of the Dead, love that film. It's just so, so funny and it cheers you up. If you're, if you're having a bad day and you watch it, some of the jokes, they just instantly make you laugh, make you feel a little bit better. Um, one of the draws with Quiet Horror for me is that it's very character focused and focused on character development and the personalities of your characters and their interactions with each other. I was, when I was growing up, a huge fan of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and The X-Files, and they were both very good at showing you interactions between characters that didn't necessarily have anything to do with the overarching plot. It was purely for character growth, to show you what one character meant to another character and you do tend to see a lot of that within quiet horror again coming back to the haunting of hill house one of the things that made it such a such a gripping story for me was the relationships between all of the siblings and i i continued watching because i wanted to see how they interacted with each other not every scene was pertinent to the the horror plot, but every scene served a purpose. And so, with the with the character interactions, um, because it is something that you do really well, um, and I think Thank it's something you. that a lot of people have a hard time with, um, as far as so there's so there's good characters, right? But good character interaction, I feel, is is kind of like a, a tricky thing to do. So. Mm. How do you go about making sure, even knowing each character um, as well as you do, how do you go about making sure that like the mannerisms stick and that the dialogue between them seems so natural? Is that like, do you go like people watching? Is it like when you have like a, a day off, you go to the, the park or something and just watch the animals? <laughs> Like, just take photographs of random people. And <laughs> like, no, hey, you know, so, you know. So I know some people just go out um, 
I was talking to somebody who, who they, you know, whenever they go out with their, their wife, they'll just sit there for a little bit and then they'll jot down notes of like what other people are talking about or, you know, so is, is it just something where it's like you, you're so comfortable with the characters that you have that you kind of have a, a pretty strong understanding of, of like how they're going to interact or is that um, something that you, you've kind of had to take into consideration and practice as you go along? It's definitely something that I've practiced a lot um, <laughs> in the early days when my my kids were still very small and I didn't have the, the time or probably the mental capacity <laughs> with all the sleep deprivation to create something of my own. Mm-hmm. I played around with a lot of fan fiction and with that you're taking your cues from an already established universe and from characters that have already been properly fleshed out for you. Mm-hmm. And I always, even though it was, it, people will say, oh, fan fiction, it's just fan fiction. It was, but I enjoyed writing mm-hmm. and I wanted to do it as well as I could. So again, it was looking at those characters and imagining things being said in their voices and thinking, would they say that? No, maybe they wouldn't. Okay, we'll go back, we'll we'll rewrite this bit. And there is a certain amount of rewriting that comes with that. Obviously, when you go through your first, second, third, 122nd edit of your <laughs> manuscript, something might jump out at you and you might think, that line just doesn't sit right. And I, I don't think these characters would say it to each other. Um, I don't like uncomfortable, stilted, clunky dialogue where you think, I, I don't think a real person would ever say that. So it's just a matter of playing with it until it sounds right. But I would definitely say that reading a lot, um, watching a lot of TV shows and movies within the genre has helped me to learn how to craft a character and how to make sure that that interaction is actually authentic. And so, so with like, I guess like so that would sort of kind of be like part of your research phase, just as far as character building goes. Does what you watch correlate with what you're writing as far as? Because I know you have other books that you've released, um, and you said that you're working on two more. Does what you watch influence what you write, or is it just two separate things, and you're just looking for like very specific? Um, details I tend to lose interest in books, TV shows films quite quickly if there is not that supernatural element within there somewhere Mm -hmm. so I I do watch a lot of horror a lot of sci-fi I've been a huge fan of supernatural vampire diaries The Walking Dead usually if there's a horror film coming out I will want to see it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think I do very much um, stay loyal to that genre. Um, in future, I, I probably would like to write some horror comedy myself. I think that would just be a nice... Um, I wouldn't say easy, because it, it, I think it can be quite challenging to, to be funny. Um, but I think it might be a nice change of pace, maybe, from the more serious, hardcore, you know, angsty horror. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you had mentioned that you were writing, I think it's what, the fifth and the sixth book in the base. Yes. So I have to, I have two questions. One is one is about the 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 title for the series as a, as a whole, and I guess I'll save that one for for the next one. Um, but are you writing them at like simultaneously? Because because like it, at least with three and four, it was kind of like um, when it ends. It was it, it was like a a comic book where where it's just like if if I didn't have both of them I would have been like oh no like <laughs> I, I, gotta yes. <laughs> I uh, am quite evil in the way that I I <laughs> split them with those cliffhangers I tend to find I tend to just um, write it as one long manuscript mm-hmm. and then I'll check my word count. And I'll think, right, okay, I I know I need to split round about chapter 10, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will go back and I will focus on those few chapters and just try to decide which is the best place to split. Mm-hmm. We tend to want somewhere where, as you say, people are going to get to that last page and think, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you should, can't do that. And then immediately, hopefully, reach for the next book. Yeah. But you don't want to do it too soon, mm. so that you're ending on a bit that's a little bit flat and isn't going to pull that reader back. But equally, you don't want to do it at a point that's going to be too annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, I think, yeah. Watching Hollow like when uh watching Halloween and then Halloween two, how they kinda it's just like they they're basically taking place. Well not basically, they are taking place on the same night. Um and then just the kind of how they end and it's just like the first one ends and you're like, wait. <laughs> like what So when's the second yeah, one? Then, you know, so. Yeah, and then you're right back. <laughs> so um without spoiling anything, as is that going to be a completely different um backstory completely different like uh mythos in 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 that section there or is that going to be a continuation uh with ollie and and becca no books um five and six are a completely different set of characters a completely different base and actually a totally different time I'm going to go back to the 1990s for this Ooh. one. Um, and there, there is a reason for that. The reason won't become apparent until the very end of the book, so I won't say what the reason is. Um, but it's, it's nice, as somebody who was a 90s kid, to go back to that time briefly. And I think it was something that R.L. Stein said recently which was modern times can quite often ruin a horror story if you're not careful because we have all this technology at our fingertips cell phones the internet and so things can be over very very quickly yeah. it's um if you think about buffy and, and they had giles in his library with all his tomes of knowledge and They'd make an evening of sitting there, leafing through about 70 books, looking for this villain and information about it. All we do now is we type it into Google and we immediately know what we're dealing with. And 
with mobile phones, somebody goes missing, okay, find my iPhone. <laughs> so, yeah, that technology can, can ruin things pretty quickly. And so it's nice to go back to a decade where actually I don't have to think about, oh, okay, um, why can't they track them on their phone? Yeah. Why can't the police... Why can't the police find them using their cell phone or, or some other, their Apple Watch? <laughs> it takes away a complexity. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's like talking to some people, um, you know, like younger people um, about certain things. And they're just like, why don't you just like use your phone? It's like we didn't, we, didn't, we couldn't do that. <laughs> they're just yeah, the phones didn't go online <laughs> we could play snake and we could use the calculator but i mean if you're facing off against an evil entity snake isn't really going to help you much right <laughs> unless i don't know maybe they're just terrified of, of uh the the uh what is it the t t1000 uh <laughs> calculator snakes <laughs> <laughs> i think it can be quite hard for the, the modern generation of, um, oh, I can't believe I'm saying younger people, but younger people, um, to grasp this idea because they've all been steeped in this amazing technology from birth. Mm-hmm. And they've been using iPads and, and Kindles and things like that since they were two or three years old. They're more proficient at it than we are. Um, so it can be really hard for them, I think, to imagine this world where everything just wasn't immediately at your fingertips. You couldn't just pull this device out of your pocket and immediately know everything that you needed to know. Yeah. Explaining, explain, well, I don't, I don't know if it was internet, if, was Blockbuster International or was that just an American thing? I don't know. We did, we did have Blockbuster, yes. Try, trying to explain that, you know, the, the blockbuster family movie nights with <laughs> they're just like it's when what? you had to, I had to explain to one of my children recently um because they they know VHS videotapes they know that those existed um I have a few left over from my childhood that they've seen but it was just watching that look on their face as their little brain imploded whilst <laughs> I explained to them that you had to rewind that tape yeah. You couldn't just take it out and then put it back in next time and have your film or your TV show play from beginning to end again. You had to rewind it. Yeah. And even even rewinding, I feel like sometimes that was kind of like a moment of dread. I don't know how <laughs> many movies I had rewound. And then some of them, because if you had the the really nice ones... They had like the auto rewind, so you'd get to the end and then would just rewind it. And I don't know what magic components it had inside that, but they were like half-assed magic. And then like you know, because you'd get like the tape would get stuck in there, and then you'd you'd pull it out, and you gotta like fish the film out and yeah, put the movie back together. And it's like you're explaining these things, and kids are like, why didn't you? What? <laughs> like, how does that work? And so, and and so, um, I think in that. And obviously, yeah. the longer the film, the longer you were sitting there with your finger holding down the rewind button. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that that's kind of like a, 
you could see that you could see the horror in their face and you know it's a, it's a different kind of horrors rewinding the VHS tape <laughs> yes it, it almost makes them think that there were dinosaurs tromping around outside whilst we were there with our VHSs and our cassette tapes I had I had a, a discussion not too long ago with um, one of my friends friends which is kind of strange like, so they're they're a little bit younger than they haven't um they haven't used vhs or anything like that at all and they were just so enamored by you know it's like if you're on a if you're on a phone you can't walk anywhere because you got the cord and all the and you know the the, the winding of the vhs's and everything and they're like man it was so weird that like, back in the 1900s like you guys didn't have this stuff and it's like no wait what? I'm like, I guess it is. Did you just like, say back in the 1900s? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know, it still feels like it's like 10 years ago. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it does. It, it really does. Yeah, it's it's scary how quickly time moves <laughs> and we're completely unaware of it. So, so with the other books that, that you've written, are they all spread out throughout uh, history or, or are there different kinds of themes and elements in, in those that differ from uh, the base theories? Um, so the first four base fear books are set in present day. Uh, as I say, five and six will take place in the 90s. Um, and then I have a range of um, various short stories in different anthologies. Um, I have a few that are on a publisher's Patreon page, and I have a short story that will be coming out, I think around February time, appearing in an anthology. And, and that one, I haven't specifically pinpointed when it is set, but a very long time ago, <laughs> we will say. Um, so. It can be quite nice to play around with time periods, I think. Writing gives you that ability to go and travel through time and to explore periods that are very far removed from our own present day. And obviously each time period comes with its its various issues and its hot topics and disasters and things that were occurring at the time and society each time is completely different they have different views different ideals different different morals almost so it can be can be very interesting and sometimes your chosen time period can serve your story quite well so with the way that everything is structured um, and especially, and this was the other question I had about the, the base fear series, with the title of the grouping, I know, so these take place um, in and or around military bases. Yes. So is that like a double, is, is, is it a double meaning where you're talking about the base fears of a person and the fact that it's taking place on... Uh, an actual military base or is it it is indeed and i'm really glad somebody got that <laughs> i was getting quite self-conscious about the fact that nobody else seems to have picked up on it or at least they haven't mentioned it to me but yes it's it's a play 
onwards. Um, as humans, we have our base fears, our, in, our almost instinctual fears. But also, these stories, they revolve around military bases. Um, and so, you should be afraid if you, if you visit any of these bases, um, at least in, in my world. And I also wanted something that was quite short, yeah. because otherwise you're, you're playing with far too many words when you have a series title and then you also have to think of your book title too. It's just far too long for people to remember, to have to type into a search bar, and also for me to remember. <laughs> so I wanted something that was snappy and I came up with Base Fear. And I quite liked that it reminded me of another famous uh, young adult, new adult series, um, Fear Street. Oh, yeah. And I, I was quite glad when I received my first mock cover for book one from Raventail. And they seemed to have picked up on that themselves and then in leaned into it. And the covers for the series are they do remind me very much of those old Fear Street or Point Horror covers and and I do quite like that. Okay, yeah. I mean that's that's I think that's pretty pretty cool when I, I talk to people and it's especially authors when they are working with a uh, either a small press or a large press and they just kind of click because I know sometimes that can be pretty hard for for, for some uh, authors when it's just like they submit something and then it's just like they, they, you know they get it back and it's just like that's you missed the mark <laughs> completely <laughs> like now you got to go back and like explain things or be more like detailed about certain elements and then like go back and forth so I mean it sounds like maybe that was a little little bit easier as far and at least on that front for you or yeah I've, I've only had good experiences with Raven Tale um there's always somebody on hand to answer any questions that you have. If you're not quite happy with a cover that you receive, then they're quite quite good at, at changing it, at listening to, to, to what it is that you actually want and to making those changes for you. Mm. Um, they're just very approachable. And I know a lot of people prefer self-publishing and I certainly don't look down on anybody who self-publishes because in itself, that's a big investment when you're you're finding somebody to illustrate your cover for you, you're finding an editor, you're, you're doing the whole process on your own. And I think that's really, really brave. But for me, with where I was in, in my life and with the fact that I also have four children that I have to feed and clothe and <laughs> all of that lovely stuff. Um, it just wasn't feasible for me to take on the cost of an editor and cover design. And I, I knew that cover design wasn't something that I would be good at myself. Uh, I'm not an artist in that respect. So I didn't want to put out a book that people would immediately be put off because my cover looked unprofessional or because I hadn't edited it well enough. So for me, small presses were, they were the best choice. And so this, this is something that I like to, to just ask everybody on here. And, and I feel like since we're, since we're kind of in like the realm of, of that, um, or this subject here, um, what is something 
like if you were to give a piece of advice or like something that um, other authors like say if they're they're just starting out um, and they they want to get into things and and kind of know what to expect, um, what is something that you found difficult in the beginning that you had to overcome um, and what piece of advice I suppose would be or would you would you want to put out for them to to kind of apply to whatever they're going through and how to overcome the issue the thing I found most difficult and still do struggle with a little bit is the concept of selling myself and as an author even if you go with a small press if you independently publish if you go for a large press now I believe you will do most of your own marketing unless you are already a, a very famous celebrity um Britney Spears for example you will be doing the majority of your own marketing and that will require you to sell not only the product that you have created but also yourself to a certain degree I've come across some authors who just seem to be naturally very very good at it and they they create these wonderful social media posts and they get heaps of engagement whereas I can often come across as quite wooden and stilted on social media. It's um, it's not really my forte. I struggle to write good things about myself. I think I hopefully come across much better in interviews and podcasts where I just have that extra time to be able to give more meaningful answers. So my advice would definitely be get comfortable in being able to talk about yourself in a positive light in selling yourself and in selling your abilities and if you don't think you can do that find somebody who's very good at it study and learn from them so have you been like is that something that you've been doing do you like you like take notes on like what other other people are, are doing as far as um like so no, I'm talking about 300 fellow authors on social media. <laughs> 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 no, no, really not. Please, please don't prosecute me. <laughs> um, I think it's it's something I've gotten slightly better at. I'm still not brilliant with things like TikTok. Um, the idea of putting my own face on camera is it's not the most appealing. <laughs> but... Um, Certainly things like Instagram, I like Instagram. You can just share a small snippet of your life. And I think people respond quite well to photographs, to visual cues. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, again, the posts are very, they can be very hit and miss. I will have a post that will get quite good engagement. And then I will make another post and, you know, it'll just be like my mum giving it a like. <laughs> so... I'm still learning, definitely still learning, um, but hopefully improving every day. I mean, social social media is, is pretty crazy. I feel like, I mean, even, you know, even like paying, trying like to pay attention to it and like the different trends and everything. I feel like, um, at least for me, because I wasn't really good in, in math at all. I'm not, I'm not a math mm. or anything like that. Um, and. I remember like growing up 
and going to school and like i felt like it was like clicking for everyone else really quickly and then as soon as i figured out like oh okay that's how we solve these kinds of problems it was you walk in and you're like i figured it out it's gonna be a good day in class and then it's just like oh now we're doing something else <laughs> it's just like <laughs> something else for you to struggle with today <laughs> And so uh, I think math teachers did that on purpose. I think there's a touch of sadism if you're a yeah. math teacher. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you have to be, you know. <laughs> Sorry, all the math whizzes listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are fantastic with maths and they certainly don't get it from me. So <laughs> I was definitely one of those kids who was uh, sitting in the class thinking, I, I just don't understand this. And, and as yeah. you say, by the time you have caught up, by the time you've, you've grasped it, it's almost time for something else. Yeah. And yeah, social media can can very much be like that as soon as, especially with TikTok, where you have your trending sounds and your, your trending themes. And as soon as you've managed to make your video and you think, right, I'm on my trending theme, something else is trending. Yeah. It's a, it's a very strange thing. So, I mean, kudos to anybody who, who has figured out, you, you know, they have all sorts of courses you can take and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just like... I feel, I like, feel like I'm a lost cause at this point. So <laughs> if, if, you, if you're good at that type of thing, I absolutely take my hat off to you. <laughs> so um, I know we're, we're running up on the, on the time here. So um, this is the part of the show where I, I just like to, to hand it over to the guest and just, you know, let you plug anything that you're working on or things that are coming out. And, um, you know, if there's anything that you're interested in that you want to tell anybody about and put some more um, emphasis on and whether it's, you know, your stuff or, or things that you're just interested in. So, so this is like the floors yours kind of thing <laughs> oh fantastic I, I almost wish i had a script now i just finished telling you how bad i am at social media and selling myself this is it's like that nightmare where you walk into your classroom at school and you're completely naked <laughs> okay so um if you enjoy horror if you enjoy as i've said quiet horror uh character driven horror check out the base fear series you can find books one to four currently on amazon hopefully books five and six will be joining those sometime next year um, look out for the name sc fisher i'm in a number of anthologies at the moment i think the most recent one was entitled that old house the bathroom where you can read my short no peace and Hopefully I'm allowed to say this. Um, if not, I'm going to get a very angry Instagram message <laughs> from another author. Um, I will be appearing in Horoscope Volume 4 in February. Um, I think they still have a few submission windows open for that. So if you're also a horror author and you'd like to submit, find Harriet Everend on Instagram and get submitting some stories. And... Awesome. Um, yeah, buy my books because Christmas is coming. I've got to buy a lot of presents. <laughs> the, the mad rush begins. <laughs> oh, I've just depressed myself now. <laughs> but everybody enjoy Halloween. Have a great Halloween first. <laughs> oh, see, so you've got yourself another story, so you can, you can, you can get rid of all the stress and just put it into a character, and then the character can 
and deal with all the stress for you. <laughs> I, I don't think um, I don't think I should be that cruel to my characters. <laughs> start you start getting letters in the mail from like an angry character. You know that that'd be a pretty scary story too. <laughs> like, but I, I think I could probably count that as fan mail. So like, send me the hate. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and chatting. Oh, about thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we will see you soon. And then hopefully, you know, if, if, uh, if you have time, you can come back on once you've released uh, five and six. If you want to chat about those, you can come on and chat that more. That would be amazing. Time. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully by then I will be much better at social media and TikTok. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Generic Podcast. Base Fear Books 1 through 4 are currently available on Amazon and are generally available wherever books are sold. Again, if they're not sold in your local bookstore, ask them to order a few copies. As you may know, this podcast is donation-based, so if you really liked this episode or any of the episodes in the past, Make sure to go on over to the main podcast page and uh, send on over a little donation. I'm also going to be picking up the coffee app, so uh, I will be on there. I'll be doing a lot more uh, blogging come next year. There's a lot of really fun and exciting things coming up, uh, one of which is going to be the Asian horror cinema history. Really excited about that. You can look forward to those episodes coming out every Thursday, along with the Quick Bites episodes coming out every Wednesday. Um, And then again, like I said in the Quick Bites episode, the last one of the year, episode 25, Um, I will have the other episodes like this one coming out either on Fridays, Sundays, or Mondays. I hope you all have a fantastic Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Until next time, y'all keep being amazing people. Y'all are.